Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to my friend Paul Laverne. Many of you will know that I have spoken across Canada on the issue of pornography this year. Uh, I've been everywhere from Barry's Bay all the way to British Columbia. I've talked to more than 2,000 students. And at every one of these presentations, I ask uh, for questions. And students will write down questions. I'll collect them. That way they can answer their questions anonymously. And then I spend usually an hour after each presentation answering those questions. And I have enough research and enough experience now that I can answer most of the questions that I get. But what I like to do periodically around at least once a year on this podcast is have on a therapist, a counselor who specifically works with people with kids who are addicted to pornography and, and run a whole bunch of these questions by him. And so today, again, I'm talking to my friend, Paul Laverne. He is a therapist uh, who works out of Ontario. You'll get his contact information at the end of this show. If you're interested in reaching out to him yourself, I've recommended many people to him and he does a phenomenal job coaching people uh, through porn recovery. And so I hope you find this conversation interesting and helpful. This will be conversation one of two. And so if you know anybody who's struggling or you think they're struggling, please do send them this show. Thanks so much for listening. Here's my conversation with Paul. Well, Paul, just to start off, uh, I think I met you at an anti-porn conference. I don't even know how many years ago now, five or six years, probably. And one strength to fight there. Yeah, the strength to fight conference. And one of the things that I've been writing about a lot lately is the fact that I do think now that the sort of things we were discussing at these small Canadian conferences and and bigger Nicosi conferences are now kind of the prevailing view against all odds. You see the government of the UK, um, the, the commissioner for children recently came out, said pornography is, is turning uh, you know young men into predators and grooming girls to accept abuse. You've got the attorney general of France who came out last month and said 90% of pornographic content is violent and we should be prosecuting the pornographers creating this stuff. So many of the things that we used to talk about um, are now being acknowledged and that is actually leading to serious policy decision-making. And I have two minds on this. I think it's obviously a very good thing. Uh, on the other hand, I don't think that the elites making the decisions have somehow rejected the sexual revolution or have gotten more moral on some of these issues. I think the scale of the fallout and the scale of the damage is just grown too big to ignore as an entire mm-hmm. generation sort of enters into relationships uh, hooked mm-hmm. on porn. What's your sense of this? Both, you know, you interview people from all over this debate, um, mm-hmm. you counsel people, and you also follow it as closely as I do. So I really wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, no, that's that's. Uh, thanks, Jonathan, for having me back and um, for bringing this up. So, I think I think where we turned the corner was when uh, organ grassroots activist organizations like um, Culture Reframed, led by Gail Dines, and uh, Collective Show, Melinda Tankard Reese, you know, who I've interviewed on my channel, they thought, hmm, how can we talk about this in a way that people are going to listen to? If we make it a religious debate, we're we're done. If we make it a moral debate, we're going to be ignored as well. What if we come at it from a public health perspective? And this is how we change smoking from being cool to being not cool. Okay. And it took 30 years. But what we did is we basically bombarded people with study after study after study after study 
about how smoking is bad for you. Because I don't know if you remember, well, you're, you're too young to remember this, but you can Google ads. Well, I am too, but I know this from, you can Google ads from the 50s, Jonathan, for cigarette commercials with a doctor in his white coat with a camels in his mouth. These are real ads saying, I recommend camels for my patient's anxiety. People don't believe what I'm just saying. Just go Google it. They're out there. So how, first of all, and, and this is what we're going to do in, in 50 years. We're going to look back at the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, 2010, 2020, go, how did we let an entire generation of people become conditioned, traumatized, and addicted to hardcore sexual material while we stood by and do nothing? Ignorance, right? Hmm. So what happened anyways is in the 60s, we started... Um, not we, but uh, people people that were um, campaigning a, a, about this started bringing uh, the research out. What did the, what did the tobacco companies do? And by the way, it's exactly what the pornography companies are doing. What did they do? They came up with their own studies. Oh, it's not this. It's not really that bad. No, it doesn't give you cancer. Okay, and uh, they tried that, and this is what porn companies are doing. There's a whole sphere of thought within my profession among therapists that porn addiction isn't even a real thing and it's harmless and we shouldn't stigmatize and pathologize people which i agree with by the way and i don't do okay but this is just kind of the language that they use to get around it and um you know it's really not harmful so what people have been doing like gail dines and, and collective shout and, and yourself and other organizations nicosi right National Coalition on Sexual Exploitation has just been documenting evidence. They're just documenting evidence, okay? I can tell you as a clinician that I see every day men whose lives are completely destroyed by the fact that they can't stop masturbating to pornography because it's a shameful secret that they lie about and hide and then it ruins their relationships and they lose their marriage and it blows up their family or they get caught uh, looking at it at work and they get put on probation or fired from their jobs, okay? They've never gone two weeks in their adult life without masturbating to porn. So I I don't know how that's not an addiction, right? So I see the, I see crying, I, I see buckets of tears cried in my office from partners of porn addicts whose husbands are more interested in having sex with themselves than their wife. Their wives are neglected. Their wives feel not enough. Their wives feel like they're inadequate. They're not desired. They're not pursued. So, so, the, but, but no one knew any of this because it's so like, even like at least with smoking, you know, it's like, you can see it. It's right there. Right. Not with this. It's so hidden. This is the thing. It's it, it, porn has never been more accessible and more anonymous. Because, like you know, even when I was a teenager, like I still had to like go into the convenience store and like get the magazine and risk, you know, the embarrassment of buying it at the counter or maybe my grandmother's going to walk in on me right then. And, you know, so there's all these deterrents that sort of were built into this mm -hmm. and yeah, it was everywhere, but it really wasn't that accessible, especially to young people. Now, thanks to the black rectangle, 
We have a portable electronic delivery device for hardcore sexual material that people literally never leave, right? I mean, they, they carry this in their pocket all day and then sleep with it beside their bed, right? So we've never been more attached to anything ever in the history of the human race, really, we're talking about historically speaking, than our black rectangles that can deliver this to us. <laughs> What I saw, and, you know, I'd like to hear, like, you're in slightly different circles than I am, but when Layla Micklewaite started Trafficking Hub, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. Yeah. So she just started documenting. She she focused on Pornhub, which is owned by MindGeek, located in Montreal. She just focused on them because they're the biggest website. And she just started documenting non-consensual sex, sex with women who are clearly drugged, clearly incapacitated, minors raped protesting saying no 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 and and it's 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 out it's pornhub was rife with these videos as a crime scene yeah straight out underage sex with minors jonathan uploaded no policing no vetting nothing for the last 10 years minimum so she just started documenting and to gain momentum and her petition, I think we're up to 2 million signatures or something, just on social media, just making people aware. And then it really blew up when Nicholas Kristof, who's a Nobel Prize winning journalist from New York Times, wrote the article, right? You, you remember this? Children yeah, the of children Pornhub. of Pornhub. Children of Pornhub. So boom, now it's, I think, you know, maybe there's other things that like you know about too that I don't, but that really launched into the public awareness. First of all, it exists. This is what is happening. And it's happening, uh, it's flagrantly with impunity occurring right under our noses. And then so, what, what happened next? Then our, our committee, uh, what was the committee in our government? Subpoenas. Standing Committee on Health. Standing Committee on Health subpoenas and Anton and those guys, the executives from Pornhub. And basically it was like, um, Okay, guys, um, let's hear your justification for posting criminal sex, child sexual abuse material on your website and knowing it. And I've watched some of those, man. This is this is the best ex example of non-speak, double evasive, double talk, say stuff and not say anything that I've ever seen in my life. So there's a couple of a uh, couple of uh, of threads I want to pull on there. Uh, the first thing I want to ask though is is you kind of mentioned that just like the tobacco industry hired their own doctors, they hired their own experts, right? They hired academics to basically defend them, uh, and the way they did this primarily was just sort of shedding doubt on the results, um, like never full or butting them because they couldn't, but just saying this is probably not the only thing. There's multiple mm -hmm. factors, blah blah blah, mm -hmm. right? Smoke and mirrors. Uh, the same thing is true uh, on with, with pornography, and there's a uh, it was a lecture I think I heard it in a COSI conference in Texas. They was called the Porn Profs, and they actually took a look at a bunch of the the, the professors who basically serve that function for the porn industry. Guys oh, like, oh really? Uh, oh, I, I would have loved to. I would have loved to have heard that because it still boggles my mind that these people are doing it. Sorry, carry on. Well, you probably recognize the names, right? We're talking about people like Dr. David Lay, who wrote Ethical oh. Porn for Dicks, uh, woman like Dr. Nicole Prouse, who has threatened every one of us who ever says anything with a lawsuit. Um, 
Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what of their defenses have you seen? Because the interesting thing about defending pornography is there's sort of the baseline defense of it's adult material and adults should be allowed to look at it and it's just a healthy expression of sexuality. And one of the, the arguments that's made from a public health perspective is that even the violent porn serves a function because men who would maybe feel... Attempted to carry out that violence in real life now have an outlet. We know that's garbage, but that's one of the defenses that they they put forward. But the interesting thing was was making a positive case for this stuff. I remember having a debate with Dr. David Lay on Twitter one time, and I just asked him to answer a single question: like, do you think that it's problematic or creepy um, to be aroused by calling somebody the c word? That's it. And he kept on saying, well, you know, um, everybody has their own thing. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you if it should be legal. I'm not asking you uh, what you think about that kind of porn, although I figured it out pretty quickly. I'm just asking you if you think it's acceptable because I want to draw a clear delineation between what you think is acceptable and what I think is acceptable. Because um, eight years ago, I was making the case that, that pornography fuels rape culture, which I think is becoming more and more a consensus. Sure. And he, at the end of the debate, admitted that there was nothing wrong in his view with a man being aroused by using the most degrading term possible for a woman, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which presumably then, as Gail Dines details in her book, he also wouldn't have a problem with a white supremacist watching pornography um, where black people are being abused and called racial names, which is uh, is a huge genre. Um what, in your view, are the are the arguments that are being made to defend pornography, and how easily do they fall apart? Well, I, from what I've been able to figure out, because I'm still trying to figure this out, Jonathan, to be honest with you, but from what I can figure out is that these people really hide behind uh, science and studies and academic research, but they're really driven by ideology. They're not actually driven by the evidence and academic research. We also know academia can be incredibly corrupt and research can be corrupt and co-opted. For example, tobacco companies that put studies out saying smoking was good for you, okay? That, and that, that was in the 60s and that has, nothing's changed, okay? But they're driven by an ideology and this comes from a lot of, you write a lot about this in your book about Kinsey. So these people that they're, they all belong to something like um, ASECT, you know, American Association of Sexuality Educators, something like that. Well, that's all based on Kinsey and his ideology. Kinsey was a, would be arrested today for the studies that he did. He was a pedophile, right? So the ideology is you start from a basic presupposition that there is nothing wrong with anything. There's no right and wrong. Anything goes. From what I can f- figure out, and I'm, I'm kind of painting in broad strokes here. I'm sure there's nuances in that, okay? But from what I can figure out, in case I'm pointing your debate with Lay, is like anything goes. And then to sound good, they throw it as long as it's consensual. And they love to throw that in, right? And that most people kind of buy that because it sort of sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm going like, as a therapist, I'm like, so... I just don't buy it, okay? Because I really want to know what her story is, that this is something that she thinks she she should consent to or wants to consent to, right? And like, and then and here, here's the thing, like, if you're, you're shouting at your neighbors and you go over and you hear screaming inside and you walk through the door 
And there's a man beating a woman and pulling her by the hair and punching her and calling her vile names. What what would you call that? Assault? Yeah. Violence, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and it's interesting you say that though because this is creeping into into pop culture now too, right? Because the thing the thing that the thing people don't understand about pornography that that really frustrates me is that because as you point out, right, when everybody smoked, you could all see them smoking. But pornography is sort of one of the primary drivers of now behavior and culture that nobody can see. It's sort of the invisible hand that shapes so much of what we actually see happening every day. Because when you're pushing, you know, um, we're talking about a super majority of both women and men are viewing porn regularly and a huge percentage of the population is actually addicted. And so now, of course, this is cropping up increasingly in, in, in popular music. You've got a lot of uh, references to sexual violence that's been glorified by porn. Things are being said now that would not have been accepted before, but even people uncomfortable with them won't say anything because in private, they're watching things of that nature on their screen. So pornography has kind of forced a huge percentage of the population to collaborate in things that they're uncomfortable with, and their hypocrisy is rendering them useless when the time comes to speak out on things. This is a obviously true uh with with the politicians i know one politician who said to a group of other politicians the reason you guys don't have any guts on this is because you're all looking at it yourselves which did not make him popular but did make him correct um did did arnold Peterson say that i probably shouldn't say it on the podcast it's recording (laughs) but if you if you if you gave me five guesses you you'd guess it put it that way um And the same thing is now true for, for, for TV shows and for films is the sexual content, which started to really become a key part of the entertainment industry in the nineties is now moving in that direction. It's violent. It's grotesque. There's this sort of a glorification and the destruction of the other. Um, and that's being driven by pornography because shows like game of Thrones Mm. knew they were competing with Pornhub for eyeballs. Um, and in fact, the viewership on Pornhub dropped while um, game of Thrones aired. So they, they won that Mm. contest. One of the things that's interesting about all this now is I've noticed a shift in the people that I talk to. And I wanted to ask you about this because the guys, I'm 35. So I graduated high school in 2006. Most of the people that I know who got hooked when I was in high school um, stumbled across still images on a computer. That's yeah. how they got hooked. Eventually found videos, not, not always right away. Um, we didn't get it. We didn't have a smartphone yet. The first iPhone came out in 2007. And so yeah. it was easier to find it because once you found a site, you could scroll for hours. But at the same time, there was still an accessibility issue that you didn't have once everybody got the black rectangle. Now, uh, so I just, I've talked to more than 2,000 students so far this year on pornography from between grade six and 12. Yeah. Most of the time, the yeah, stuff yeah. they start with mm. is stuff that took people my age years to even find. Like it's yeah. on the front page of all these sites. And I find that um, the guys that I know around my age who got hooked, it was hard to quit, but their minds weren't twisted in the same way that kids who are starting off now at 8, 9, 10, 11 are because the stuff they're seeing, some of it barely it can barely be called sexual, um, right? It's just violence yeah. with nude people it's in abuse. it. abuse. It's just abuse and hatred. Have you noticed a difference, like between what you're hearing between, say, the generation who who, who um, graduated around when the smart came uh, phone came out, and now? And have you noticed that the way their brains are wired is difficult, is different, and more difficult to to work through? Yeah. So what's happening is um, 
so I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. So for me, it was, you know, started off with play like Sears catalogs, you know, guys, my age will laugh, shake their head and kind of laugh at that. Cause that's the only place you saw a woman in lingerie. And then it was playboy and playboy. Keep in mind, it's not even, it's not even published anymore. It's in magazine form, but keep in mind, there was no sex acts in playboy, but it was just, it was just women, not, not just women, but it was only women nude. You had to go to Penthouse and Hustler to have sex acts. And even those were, were, were blurred out with the, with the black dots and stuff like that. So it took a decade for me to escalate. Like I had to wait until the technology came out in high school with VHS videos. And that was the first time you actually you know saw videos of people having sex. And so it took me 10 years to escalate and get exposure to the same material that uh, kids nowadays start off with day one day one right and you know back then if you had a subscription to playboy you know you might get a magazine once a month it might have 30 pictures in it 30 pictures in a month and you look at those and that would be it till the next month that would be all that you looked at for a month now kids blow through that in five minutes and it's actually don't they don't even look at pictures they look at videos right and so videos have sound, sight, high def. The context is different. It's more explicit. It, the impact on your brain is 10 times or 100 times more powerful than looking at a still image in a magazine. Plus, the neuroplasticity continues actually in male brains up until the early 20s. So the arousal templates of young of, of boys and teenagers is being formed. So, so this is what women are dealing with in high school and and so they don't know any better either because they also watch the porn and you know you're a 16 year old girl and you like guys and what you're thinking is well what do guys like because i want guys to like me so i want to do what guys like so they will like me completely normal like and not completely natural i know you talk to a lot of young men about this um i do as well but you're you talk to them in a therapy context and here's one of the things I want to know, because I've gotten this question probably a dozen times at high schools right across the country this year. And one of the things that both the girls will ask me about the guys and the guys will ask about themselves is if yeah. you you start watching the kind of stuff that you're describing around age 10. Uh, the last high school I spoke at, the most recent one I spoke at at BC, one kid told me that he first saw violent pornography when he was, I think, eight, eight or uh -huh. nine. And that's pretty normal. The youngest I've ever talked to was five. Um, wow. He was 15. He'd been hooked for a decade already. Oh and so God. a lot of them like feel helpless. Like this is the way my brain works now. And I can't get those pictures out of my head. And I might hate what I see, hate myself for responding to it. Not like the way my brain has been programmed. I've talked to so many kids. These go to Christian schools. Anybody who's listening who thinks it's not your kid. I have so many parents who have told me they're glad it's not their kids. And I know it's all of their kids. Literally one. Wow. I, I'm so glad my sons don't look at it. I knew both of her sons. They both told me they looked at it. It could be your kid too. They don't know how to rewire their brain. So let's take, let me, let's just give you an example. If, um, a 17 year old kid, um, contacts you for therapy. They've been looking at porn, let's say since they were 10, 10 or 11. That's pretty standard. The average kid that I'm talking to grade six is the first time they saw it. And again, they don't have to go looking for violent porn. This is on the front page of Pornhub now. So it's one of the first things they're going to see. 
Now, when when they their brain is wired, like these kids have seen seen horrible stuff before they've they've ever held hands. Most of them have seen things that your grandparents couldn't imagine before they've ever kissed anybody. Like before they've had any physical contact with a female at all, they've seen horrifying things that would often constitute torture under the Geneva Convention on the screen of the smartphone you gave them for Christmas. And so when in that context, if I'm a young guy, I come up to you and say, this is what my brain likes. This is how my brain's been wired. Is there any chance that my brain can heal and that I'll want to do normal things, that I'll be able to have a normal relationship, that the intimate, like an intimacy of tenderness and intimacy oriented towards the other, is that possible for me still? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I'd say it is. Thank God for neuroplasticity. Right. So so what that term means for those that don't know is that our brain has the we, we used to think our brain was hardwired when we hit adulthood and it never changed. But it's uh, the software can be rewritten. So the neuroplasticity of our brain means we can form new neural networks and different cues to different stimuli. But you have to extinguish the conditioning. And that means you have to quit and go abstinent from watching porn. That's the first step. So what this, this is so difficult. A lot of times we need to get parents involved and we need to get uh, filters in place and, or we need to shut down the phone uh, as much as possible, blocking software, get a flip phone, stuff like that. And that they need that for about a year. Okay. Cause you have to extinguish the neural networks. Okay. Um, maybe a comparison people can understand is, um, Sugar is in everything we eat, even we don't even realize it. And so you, most people watching this will know that they crave sweet things from time to time, or maybe a lot. If you're like me, I'm basically a sugar addict, right? But I've also eliminated sugar from my diet for 30 days. You know what? You know what happened? I had no desire for sugar. I extinguished the conditioning, right? And replaced it with good healthy foods, with no processed sugar, maybe some fruit, natural sugar, to rewire my brain to crave what I feed it. Your brain craves what you feed it. That's that's what it does. So after 30 days, I'm not, and it actually didn't even take that long. It takes about two weeks, but two to four weeks, if you eliminate all sugar from your diet, you won't want sugar. That's neuroplasticity, right? But it takes a bit longer with this stuff. So for a lot of kids, they're in for a long, you know, six to 12 month uphill battle. And, you know, if you slip up once in a while, okay, fine, you get back on track. But you have to really lean into this process. And it probably means getting some help, maybe getting mom and dad on board, you know, because let, let me let me just say, let me just say a shout out to, to parents here. And forgive me if I sound harsh and judgmental, but if, if you gave your nine-year-old a, a, a cell phone, a smartphone, with no filters and no strong parameters and parental supervision, you're incredibly negligent and ignorant as a parent. Cause it like, I just don't get that. Like, like this thing has more computing power than the, the thing that landed Apollo on the moon. Okay. This is how powerful this is. And, um, you know, I actually have a client who was 17 and got addicted to porn when he was 12 and his parents were just oblivious. They gave him a smartphone when he was young, they gave him a gaming platform and a computer, and he would just come home, go to his room, and watch porn and game all night. And he did it for years. And he he came to me because he had had enough. 
And um, he asked his parents to do a call with me. I did a session virtually. And I, I just laid it all out for them. Um, I used a, a bit of a slideshow and educated them. And my, my light went off here, so I have to get the sensor on. Okay. And they, they literally sat like this for the whole hour. Like they literally almost didn't speak for the entire hour. They were so shocked. And if I had, if I had actually just thrown up a screenshot, Jonathan, not even played videos, just throw up a screenshot of the Pornhub landing page, I'd probably one of them would have fell off their chair. Yep. They really. Even really parents who find out it. their kids are hooked on porn have no idea what their kids are seeing right away. <laughs> And again, I want to emphasize for those who think that you might be exaggerating because you spend all day talking to these people, all of that can be found in publicly available data at Fight the New Drug, at the National Center on Combating Sexual Exploitation, in Gail Dine's book, Pornland, which I do not recommend you read for your own mental health, but it's it's all there. This is all publicly available data, and the only reason it's, it's necessary to talk about is because little kids are looking at this stuff. Unfortunately, this is not, an, not a just for, for adults only talk anymore. I'm talking to kids as young as grade six now. And I don't, I don't talk like, like you're talking. I get pretty close though. When I'm talking to high school students, I'm talking to high school students again this week. Um, I'm working through some of the questions that I've been getting and I've been answering them myself, but I always want to, every once in a while, I'm like, you know, I, I love to have on somebody who actually does like, you're one of the guys I refer people to. Right. So it's nice to talk to the guy I'm referring people to and ask the questions that they're asking me. Another big one. And I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'd like you to say it. Um, a lot of guys will ask me um, in the written questions that I take afterwards, um, can you quit by yourself or do you need help? And most people are asking that question because they've heard the presentation and they're scared enough that they want to quit, but they don't want to have to tell anybody because I think it's embarrassing. Um, and I really focus on how we need to stigmatize behaviors, but praise courage. And so when you, if you step forward and say you were hooked on porn, I think we need to pray that person's bravery. We need to be thrilled that they're willing to have mm. the guts and, and, and the masculinity that it needs to step forward, admit that you need to help and, and, and ask for that help. We need to stigmatize keeping it a secret. Um, so I just, I find we would attach shame to all the wrong things. Oh, that guy says he, oh. he's addicted to porn and he needs help. That's a, that's, that's shameful. No. You, you're like the shameful thing is when he was keeping it a secret, like, this is awesome. This is him stepping yeah. forward and asking for help. So yeah. a 17 year old kid comes to you um, and you have to give him advice. Do you think he can do it by himself? Um, well, it depends on, you know, what, what you want your odds to be like, you know, in hockey, when the team has a penalty, which team usually scores the goal, the one with five men on the ice or the one with four men, usually the one with five. So are you going to bet on the line that has four men or maybe three? Maybe it's a double penalty. So is that line of three guys going to score? Mm -hmm. Probably not. I don't think I've ever seen in the history of hockey a three-man a three -man line score against a five-man line. But it's possible, right? So what do you want the odds to be in your favor? Because when I take guys through, I call it recovery, okay? It's not my word. That's an old word. That's been around since AA. It's been around 80 years. It's a system, man. And, and what you got to do is build a system. And the more pieces you have in place, the greater your odds of success. First, tell. Tell someone. Someone. You know, a parent, a, 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 a spiritual leader, uh, an older brother, uh, an uncle, a friend, someone that you trust, a therapist, okay? A lot of people are going online now and reaching out that way to chat rooms and support groups, no fab and stuff like that, right? But that's the first thing. 
tell, admit, man, I've tried. Like this, the definition essentially of addiction is just really two questions. Have you tried to cut back or stop and failed? Okay, so if you've tried to stop porn or reduce your porn and haven't, okay, that's a yes. Number two, if you continue despite negative consequences, that's it. That's probably, if that's a yes, negative consequences could be a wide range of things, but the time wasted, the energy, the discouragement, the depression, feeling bad, feeling uh, isolated, lonely, withdrawn, um, pulling out of activities, social things, saying no to friends, quitting the hockey team, and all this stuff happens to people. It's all negative consequences, and you're still doing it? So that's a yeah. So I pretty much don't need to really go further than that. There's, there's other questions you ask. Okay. But then, okay. So you need to tell, you need to admit. Okay. And then you, you probably need a system or a structure, a plan. That's what I do for people. I give them a plan. Okay. Say so here, you know, I'm going to help you understand why this happened to you. This is what happens in the brain. This is the cycle you go through. I break it down. Right. And, you know, you got to figure out what your triggers are, what we call triggers, and have a plan for dealing with the triggers and have someone you can be accountable to and check in with, okay? And here's some resources, you know? Here's some podcasts. Here's some books. Here's some videos. Go learn and watch this stuff. Because the one thing that's so much better now, Jonathan, than when I started my recovery, by the way, I'm 19 years sober from porn, masturbation, inappropriate behavior, lies and secrets, sober 19 years, verified with a polygraph on my YouTube channel, okay? But back when I started my recovery, there was like one book maybe? Maybe one book, by maybe Pat Carnes had written his book by then, Out of the Shadows, right? And he was ridiculed and mocked, by the way, for even using the term sex addiction, right? But anyways, uh, there's so many resources out there right now. The stuff you do, uh, Fight the New Drug, uh, Trish Lee has a YouTube channel, Craig Perra has a podcast, my, Matt Dobshoots, Porn Free Radio. Uh, and I, I give all these to my clients. Go learn. Go learn, okay? Because knowledge is power, right? And the telling again, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because the best way I've seen, Jonathan, for guys to get rid of their shame is tell people and be accepted. And I'm a really big, I, I'm really big uh, on groups, support groups. There's 12 step groups. There's, um, you know, Carl Thomas from the States. He runs, uh, he used to be Triple X Church. He runs small groups online. Uh, NoFap. I'm, I'm, I don't know a lot about them, but some guys have been helped with NoFap. Alex, that's Alexander Rhodes' outfit, right? I, I'm not sure. Uh, Gabe, Gabe Deem, you know, Gabe that does, um, uh, what's, uh, what's his online thing? What's his website? Um, uh, He's the guy who talks about the negative physical and physiological consequences of porn on young men. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. He, he knew Gary Wilson, I think, uh, pretty good before he passed. Yes. Uh, Gary Wilson was, this is your brain on porn. Your brain on porn. And, and the TED talk, the TEDx talk. So people, you want to watch a talk, Google uh, Gary Wilson TEDx. Okay. There's his talk. Um, oh, I'm blanking out on Gabe. I interviewed Gabe a few years ago. I'm blanking out on his, uh, his website. Yeah, well, I've had Gabe on as well, but type in his name and you'll find him pretty quickly. Yeah. So anyway, the, and his stuff's a lot of it's free, you know? So, so what I would say basically is do, do the free stuff. Okay, because there are a certain amount of people that 
something happens and they just become, it becomes very clear to them, I can no longer go down this path. And they sort of get out of it from there. Or something really bad happens and it shakes them up and they're like, yeah, I'm done. And people do this all the time with smoking, drinking, drug, you know, and any any substance or behavior, right? Like the tongue, you know, I didn't think I have a drinking problem, but when I woke up in the ditch and my car was wrapped around a tree, I was, I knew that was it. And they don't, you know, and that they're fine after that. But if that is not working for you, and what I mean is you're going back once a week or more, like you're not getting past a week, let's say, get more help. Okay. Reach out to John and myself, get more help. I want to ask you about this really specifically because you, so you bring up drinking with smoking. It's obviously obvious as well with drugs. It'd be sort of a similar kind of catalyst for change. The difficulty I find with, with pornography is, is threefold now is one, the, the ubiquity of the addiction is normalizing it for young people and giving them an excuse to stay addicted longer. Uh, two, the rate of females addicted to porn now is going, getting so high that even the shame um, of girls finding out that you look at this trash has greatly reduced. Like uh, earlier this year, I t- there was a grade 11 class. Every every girl had struggled with porn in the last six months, right? That was not oh, normal. What? Even, say, what? say that again? Every that girl again? in grade 11 had struggled with porn in the last half year. Every girl? Every girl. At a school you just went to? Uh, earlier this year, yes. And like, I've been noticing more and more and more, uh, um, girls getting addicted, but like that was kind of through the roof, but this also keep in mind, like girls are the one things that usually makes boys better. Right. And so what I'm finding is that there's fewer and fewer moments, um, like moments you describe, like the car around, you know, like waking up in a ditch or waking up with a hangover or trying drugs and having a bad trip or realizing you've just stolen some money to get drugs and you didn't realize you were that. There used to be that people would have this, this, this catalyst far earlier with, with their porn addictions. And there was all of these different triggers that would create those for, for a porn addiction. Whereas now I find that because it's become so normalized, that this is the so this this is what I'm seeing in a lot of the churches, and I could give specifics, but I won't because when I'm giving a talk at a specific place, and I know that other people aren't listening from different provinces, I can do that. I have to be more careful in this context because anybody can listen to it. But so basically, the scenario that I'm running into consistently in almost every church, almost every church, I want to emphasize, and not I'm not singling out a denomination. Um, or theological tradition here is no. that people carry their porn addictions from high school into their marriages. Yeah. Um, they push the behaviors that they've learned in pornography on their partner um, who may cooperate for a while because he, she thinks it's normal. Usually the girl in this instance, for obvious reasons. Um, and then the, 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 the catalyst point the the car around the tree moment, shall we call it comes four years into marriage and they get a nasty divorce. Mm-hmm. And so my concern now is like, so like there's plenty of people my age who, who, who had huge marital issues a couple of years in, um, and resolved those because they were still had looked primarily at pictures and stuff. Weren't introduced to videos till way later. And there was still so much shame attached to it actually. Right now there's behind the scenes. Porn has become so normalized in entire peer groups. I heard a story recently of, of, of young men watching porn together. It was the fourth time I've heard that story this year. Um, when you normalize it to that extent, there's, there's not going to be a tipping point where you're like, wow, 
okay, that was too far. Can't believe I just saw that video. What does it make me that I'm attracted to that? Like I used to hear those stories all the time, less and less, but more and more of we were married three years and the whole thing fell apart because they were sexual cannibals in the bedroom. Um, what, what kind of, what kind of, uh, of like tipping points would, would you talk about? Or do you, would you want to facilitate? Do you, do you, is what I'm saying making sense? Cause I'm trying to describe to you something I've seen over the last year and a half, speaking at yeah. churches, talking with people, getting written questions, getting emails, but yeah. I'm still not fully sure of how oh. to articulate it all. Oh, except yeah, for the fact that I know that people are more comfortable with being addicted to porn now than they were a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, you touched on a, a, several really good points there. So one is that it's normalized to a degree that's hard to understand. Okay. Um, and, and this isn't really, um, it, it's normalized in the sense that, um, I, uh, I don't know what, 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 what's a good example. Like, um, you know, you um, look both ways for you cross the street. Like it's just something you do and you don't question it. Right. And, and so because it's been started at such a young age and, and then it creates um, because parents are basically oblivious and teachers are afraid to get involved and step in. And, and most spiritual leaders and pastors and churches got their head in the sand, not all, but most there's no um, there, there, there's no reflection of reality back to them. Like there's no voice to say, whoa, whoa. Do you guys like do you guys realize what you're doing, what you're looking at, what you're watching, what you're like, you're that voice. Like I, I'm guessing you're the first guy, a man that's respectable that comes in and gives a voice, an alternative narrative to the predominant cultural narrative. In in the absence of a competing narrative, then and, th and this is this is why porn has been brilliant in terms of like co-opting an entire generation. In in I I I think you can call it propaganda. I think it's been an extremely effective form of propaganda. Okay. So and it's like people need to realize like if you grew up in Germany in 1939 and you were 18 and you loved your country, you would have fought for the Nazis. Make no doubt about it. Oh no, I would have known better. No, you wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't have. Okay. Because uh, your parents were in the Nazi party. Your uncle, he adored, was in the Nazi party. Your older brother, who oh, you worshipped, went away to fight in, yeah. in the war. There's a, there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians who think they can handle persecution, but can't even stay off Pornhub for like two weeks. Right. And there was one Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one guy out of a whole nation that stood up and to the point that he got killed for his beliefs. So that's pretty sad, Christians of Germany. Sorry, one guy. I'm sure there was more, but you know why weren't there a thousand Dietrich Bonhoeffers, right? So, anyways, um, oh, where was I going with that? So normalized, yes, alternate narrative, but oh, and then also the, the the catalyst, like the, the the tree around, like the car around the tree moment. Well, let's call it comes when they're married already. And there's no way to cope with this without like massive interpersonal trauma. No, I want, yeah, I want to speak to this. So, so what happens is you're, you're absolutely right. Every, I'd say every guy I've ever talked to that comes to me, that's married in their thirties and forties was already a porn addict when they met their wife. And I tell all the wives this, you didn't cause this part wife or girlfriend. If you're listening, please hear me right now. You did not cause his addiction. You can't cure it. You can't control it. It's not about you. 
he would have been this way no matter who he married. Okay? He would have been this way no matter who he married. If you're a partner watching this, I really want you to take that in. Okay? It's not about you. He was already that way. So they come into the relationship. And then a one of several things happen. Um, maybe it has slipped out already. And, and she's like, oh, well, like, you know, maybe she's a little more liberal, open-minded. You know, it, if you, I, I know you watch porn, like just don't get carried away. And, and then it sort of becomes this don't ask, don't tell thing. And so he doesn't really tell her. And she thinks, oh, well, yeah, he probably watches porn. Doesn't, don't, don't most guys. But what she doesn't know is how much. And she has no idea of the content of porn that he's watching. Okay, so that so then that that's what happens. The other scenario is usually no, I uh, not okay with that. So either he learns indirectly, like by her just making like they're not actually having sitting down and saying let's have a conversation about the role of pornography in our relationship, but he just hears her make a comment about oh I heard so and so you know church was like a porn addict that's so disgusting you know and so he thinks okay well I can't tell her that I watch porn. So then it becomes a secret. Or she knows he watches porn and says, um, I'm not okay with it. And he says, yeah, no problem. And makes various degrees of effort to stay away, but slips back in. So then it becomes, again, the, the keeping the secrets. So something my mentor, Doug Weiss, <laughs> taught me years ago, says men change through pain. That's how men change. So men come into my office when she said, a lot of times they've gone through a cycle of, I know you don't want me to watch porn, so I'll quit. I lie better, get caught, say I'm sorry and say all the things you need to hear, get even better at lying, get caught again. And then usually by round two, round three, that that's it. She's had enough because this is 10 years have gone by now. And she's like, you go get help or we're done. So then they show up. Right. Um, in, in some cases, they've already blown through one or two marriages and then they show up. So I meet guys sort of like at all points along the way. Right. But listen, if you're if you're, say, a young couple early in your marriage or you're thinking of getting engaged, sit down and say, listen, let's talk about the role and nature of pornography in our relationship. Because if you're a partner and you feel in your heart this is in alignment with your values and this is a zero tolerance policy, please communicate this to your man right now. I have a zero tolerance policy about you watching pornography. On that, and on that question, since I've been talking to high school students nonstop, it's the one thing they want to know: A, should I go into a relationship if I'm already looking at porn? And B, should I refuse to date somebody currently looking at porn? What do you say to that? Well, it's interesting because if I tell a girl, "Yeah, you shouldn't date anyone that looks at porn," she's just going to say back to me, "Well, I guess I'm single." Yeah, I've got that one before. Right. Like I've had women 30 and under, usually they're, they're under 30 and under Jonathan, or like, I don't know a guy that doesn't use porn. And they're, they're quite discouraged by this. I don't know a guy that doesn't watch porn. Okay. So, you know, my response to them is, huh, I don't know. High school is a little trickier, right? If they're in their twenties though, I would say there's guys out there. Okay. And there's also guys out there that they're not really addicted per se. And then they sort of use it a bit like when they're not having sex with someone or in between relationships or, you know, so like, just tell them, be honest, say like, you know, I know I use porn once in a while. And, you know, but if you're, if you and I are together, 
you know, I, I have a zero tolerance policy and I'm, I'm not okay with you watching pornography. There's also a lot of guys who are willing to quit if for the right, like for the girl that they really want to be with. Like sometimes it's, if they're single, it's the girl that that's the catalyst. Yeah. Let's give them a motivation. So, so that's okay, but I, I don't love it. I don't love it because, you know, when guys come in because they got caught by their wife, I say, listen, I know you're here because your wife's threatening to leave you. And, and that's good because I got you in the door, but it's not good enough. You need to do this for you because what if the marriage doesn't make it? Are you just going to go right back to your behavior? So you need to do this for you. And I get them to really like go in and take a look at, you know, the kind of person this has made me and, what are my values and how does this align or not align with my values? And, 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 and what, where, where am I, what's my 10 year old self doing my, or sorry, my 10, 10 year in the future self doing if I go down this road. Right. So just getting them to look at it in a lot of different ways. And um, you know, when they, when they come in and they, they, you know, they reach the point where they're like, yeah, I don't want this in my life. Then, then you're, you're good to go. And you go from there. So I know you have another meeting in a couple of minutes. I've got like 50 more questions, but I'm going to have a second. Uh, I'll do a second session with you here real soon as a follow-up. Just um, let everybody know how to, how to reach you before you go. Oh, sure. So uh, turning point for me. So the word turning point, all one word, the number four, me at gmail.com. Uh, and then uh, you can go on my website, turningpointforme.com. And if you're struggling with porn, you should definitely use that email address. Right. Yeah. Reach All right. Out. I'll be, uh, I'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick this up again very soon. Okay. Thanks. Jonathan. Good to see you. Yeah. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Paul Laverne. As I said before, this will be conversation one of two. The next one will be airing next week. If you want to check out past shows or subscribe to future shows, head over to lifesightnews.com. Click on the podcast tab and you can find our shows wherever you download your content. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.